Well, good afternoon, everybody. I finally made it. I, uh, it was questionable this morning. I woke up with a terrible headache. I just happened to think of what my old pappy would have said. Anything looked like that, it'd have to hurt. It's <laughs> the way it was, sorry. I didn't have any strength or energy. I didn't know whether I was going to make it out of bed hardly. I got on the couch and sat there. And, uh, finally, Nelson came over and anointed me, and the headache went away. And uh, I started getting a little energy, so I decided I'd see if I could get up here. A little late, but uh, I managed. So. I guess it's okay. The weather's nice and it's a beautiful day. Nice to be back in Zion. Always is so beautiful and inspiring to be up here. <coughs> you could probably get just about as inspired if you just sit out and look at the mountains for an hour. It's a beautiful place. Anyway, I think we got down to about Deuteronomy 8. I got some into seven and may have finished it. But eight is a, is a good section here. Uh, I was going to announce something. What was it? Oh, you can go back to your regular beds t tomorrow night if you want to. Don't have to, but the feast ends tomorrow evening, the last great day. Just happens to be next to the weekly Sabbath, but it isn't part of the feast anymore. It's just a weekly Sabbath, so uh, uh, I guess tonight. No, this is Friday night. We can go back to our regular beds if we so wish. I'm a little slower than usual this morning, so bear with me if you would. Chapter 8, he says, All the commandments which I command you this day shall you observe to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Eternal swore to your fathers. So he's still giving speeches. This begins another one, I would say, probably weeks before they went in, because you're not going to give this many speeches the same day. Uh, and he hadn't died yet, so... He's spending a great deal of time rehearsing what they need to do and some of the history of what happened to their parents as a result of not really serving God. So he starts out that way. And you shall remember all the way which the eternal your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to prove you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or no. Forty years is, to a human being, a pretty long time. Doesn't mean much to God time-wise, but to us, 40 years is a good long time to be wandering and anticipating. But he had to know before he took them in what their hearts, their minds, their attitudes were. And that doesn't mean that even though they went on in, 
but the attitude stayed good. <laughs> it wasn't very long till they went against everything that Moses is saying here. That's just the way human beings are. We, we think in the present and we think of ourselves and it's so easy to forget God. He's not uh, running around with us and beside us and behind us and we don't see him. But that's what faith is all about. Uh, someone that we can trust forevermore. And he's trying to get us to understand that we can trust him forevermore. Our lives are in his hands, and only he can transform us. Only he can resurrect us. Only he can give us life eternal. And we want that, whether it's at the forefront of our eyes every day or not. We think physically and our physical health concerns us, and yet it's our eternal health that's important. It wouldn't matter if we all just laid down right here and died today. If we were in the kingdom of God living forever, the short time between when they picked us up here and hauled us off and threw dirt in our face wouldn't be very long compared to what is ahead of us. So it wouldn't be that big a tragedy. Abraham died a long time ago in our view, and yet no time has passed in his view because he doesn't have a view. Uh, all those people be resurrected at the same time, the first resurrection, and they will have missed no time as far as they're concerned. They'd have missed some wars. They'd have missed some bad music and poor society, but they won't have missed anything important. Just a few more years on this life, and what's that? Nothing compared to what he has in store for us. That's what he's trying to get across to us, and to them, really, <clears throat> to prove us, and that takes time. And he humbled you, and suffered you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you knew not, neither did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the eternal does man live. So he fed them physically, but he was trying to teach them to live by every word of God. That's repeated twice in the New Testament, Matthew 4.4, 4, and I think it's Luke 4.4. 4. So it's something that Christ continued, a direct quote from here, to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Your raiment waxed not old upon you, neither did your foot swell these 40 years. Wandering in the desert, they didn't have foot problems, and their clothes didn't wear out. You might have got tired of them in 40 years, but they weren't worn out. They were still okay. Uh, clothing bill was non-existent. No problem there. Shoes didn't wear out. You shall also consider in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the eternal your God chastens you. And that's a direct in Hebrews 
chapter 12. Paul quoted it. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the eternal your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. So sometimes we have troubles and we may not know why we have troubles or what the origin of the troubles is, but it could be God paddling us a little bit in various and sundry ways. And then is when we need to look at ourselves and say, where is my heart? Where are my thoughts? What's the deal here? Uh, sometimes we have things that just happen, uh, happenstance, but sometimes he's applying the rod and we have to discern that and change whatever it is we're thinking to get in line with him. That should be on our minds every day. If you live by every word that proceeds out of his mouth, you're a busy one. <laughs> There's lots of words here. And uh, keeping them in mind at the forefront of our mind and what those words are is sometimes pretty difficult. There's a lot of these old stories back here in Kings and Chronicles and a few other books that I've always called the White Pages. You don't have very many markings there, not many notes. Don't read it very often. And once in a while I'll go back there and read something I've read before, but I won't remember it. <laughs> I don't remember the details at all. I gotta go review that. Well, that's part of the Word of God and, and there's lessons in every one of them uh, for us. But it's hard to live by every word when you can't remember them all, but we can remember a bunch of them and we can review them and try to stay in line with them. Nothing wrong with a memory lesson. <clears throat> so we keep those commandments and walk in his ways. Verse 7 then, For the eternal your God brings you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains, and depths that spring out of valleys and hills deep water as well as just springs and brooks such as lakes. Uh, here's a section of two or three verses here that I have a great deal of time uh, trouble picturing in the Middle East and that Israel because they don't have very many brooks, they don't have many springs, uh, it isn't a good land, it's waste howling desert nearly all of it and even the places they call forested like Mount Carmel I wasn't particularly impressed with had mostly bushes and a few small trees and may have been a few trees there that were of pretty decent size but not too many and what they call Mount Carmel or yeah Mount Carmel no not Mount Carmel that's what I'm describing Mount uh, Hermon it talks in the Bible about the snows of Hermon. And you look at the Mount Hermon up there where the Jordan River starts as a small creek off of Mount Hermon, right in that area. But there's not a tree on it. There's some bushes, but there's not one tree on Mount Hermon. If it was, it was over on the other side. I never saw it into Lebanon, but it, uh, it's not, nothing that would impress you at all just to look at it. What's there? 
a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil, olive oil and honey. There's a little bit of those things over there that they get from what little irrigation they have. And I've even read where they're on the uh, border there with Syria, they're drilling slanted wells to get over under the border to try to get some Syrian water. They just don't have much water. And you don't have this kind of country with that amount of water. Now this country also has some desert areas and we're living in one of them. But for the most part, this country has mighty rivers and smaller rivers and springs and lakes all over it. And it's heavily forested from this side of the Mississippi all the way over. Uh, and then on the west coast and then the Rockies. Uh, even, even Nevada has quite a bit of trees. You have a empty valley and then you have a, a line of mountains that are got trees on them one after another as you go across it. It's kind of like a washboard and the high areas have trees and they have springs um, and there are parts even here uh, like Kaibab and Kalab and Zion that have a lot of water and a lot of trees, big trees. So yeah, there's some desert and God admits that, but overall, this country has everything it could need. And he says that right here. A land wherein you shall eat bread without scarceness. You shall not lack anything in it. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you may dig brass. When you have eaten and are full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. There's one place here, I guess I read over it, where it says, oh yeah, you sh verse 9, you shall not lack anything in it. And it has not been too long ago that America could stand alone. We had the manufacturing, we had the the natural resources, we didn't need to import anything. Didn't have to. But businessmen get greedy and wanted to import things and thought they could make a bigger profit on it, which they could. And it got worse and worse until we're importing all kinds of cheap junk uh, and having to generate money to pay for it. Our own manufacturing is basically gone. We can hardly, we can't support ourselves anymore. Now we still have a lot of crops that we can export. Oil, if we would politically be willing to drill it. We still have an awful lot, but it's unusable to us anymore for the most part. And if China cut us off, which is a distinct possibility, uh, wouldn't be very long there wouldn't be anything here to buy because it mostly comes from there and some from other countries but mostly there but if we had everything we needed and you could dig iron and brass out of the hills copper uh, all those things 
but we've shut those things down for the most part and don't do much mining anymore. There's still stuff there. Iron Mountains right near here, not far from Cedar City, where the Mormons used to mine a lot of iron. And you got that huge copper brass mine up at Salt Lake City. Well, there's been plenty up around the Great Lakes. There was huge iron mines and so on. And he doesn't mention gold and silver here, but one of the biggest silver mines in the world is right there by St. George, that ridge out of Leeds below Pine Mountain. They were mining enormous amounts of silver there when World War II started. And then they pulled the equipment out to use in the war effort. And during the war, it filled up with a lot of water with radon in it and they didn't allow it to be opened again after the war, but there's still a lot of silver there. And there's a lot of gold here in southern Utah and, well, all over the country uh, for that matter. Everything we need. That I use this one quite often when people say, well, the Middle East has everything. No, they, they import most of what they have and use is imported not like we do by choice over time, but because they don't have it. And as I've said many times, they have no iron there, they have no brass there, uh, a little, there's one small copper mine down by uh, the Gulf of Elat, and it's been in and out of production over the hundreds of years and not producing much. But that's the only mineral, that mine, that there is in the whole country. No minerals of any kind, except some sulfite, whatever stuff in the Dead Sea, but nothing really to use. No gold, no silver, period. And no iron. Well, if that's the promised land, where's the iron? You know? Where's the gold? Where's the silver? Where are the Great Lakes? Where's the Columbia River and the Mississippi River and the Ohio River and the Snake River and the uh, Mississippi River, if you will? They don't have it. We do. So that ought to ring a bell or two somewhere that this is the promised land that God gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they were here to receive it and then got kicked out because of disobedience. That he's telling us this is the kind of land we would have, and sure enough, here it is. And when you have eaten and are full, then therefore shall bless the eternal your God for the good land which he has given you. How many Americans are fulfilling verse 10 today? We've used this land, we've raped this land to some degree, but does anybody really give thanks to God for it on a regular basis? Not too many. Some do, but for the most part, we have a very unthankful people, ungrateful people, selfish people that want somebody to provide a living for them, and on and on we could go, but we're not in a thankful mood attitude, giving thanks to God on a regular and maybe daily basis for all the wonderful things that he gave us in this land. 
doing just the opposite of what he tells us here when you've come into this wonderful land. Verse 11, Beware that you forget not the eternal your God and not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command you this day. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, now he doesn't mention gold and silver up there when he's talking about a good land, but three verses later, he does, and we have it. They don't have any over there, not one little mine. As I've said, when I got off the airport airplane in Tel Aviv and got a car and started driving around that place, I thought, boy, if this is the promised land, I'll pass. I'm going back to the United States where there's some <laughs> trees and water and gold and silver and crops. We have an awful lot of dry land farming through different parts of the Middle West uh, in the midsection of America. Don't even have to have irrigation. Produce an awful lot of crops without it. They can't over there. Then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the eternal your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. I think quite a number, percentage of people who first came here from England were escaping bondage and debtor's prison and some pretty bad circumstances over there, and they couldn't really worship God according to this word, without persecution and trouble. Church of England, Catholic Church, uh, they couldn't do it. So they came over here and had a sense of freedom, and quite a few of them kept the Sabbath and the holy days and, and uh, wouldn't keep Easter or Christmas and some of those things, but it didn't take very long until they went the other direction and forgot that God had brought them here and our early leaders then became or were Masons and Deists they weren't Christian at all and admittedly so so they built this society according to Roman and Greek and Masonic thinking Don't let your heart be lifted up, but remember God, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness wherein there were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water, who brought you forth water out of the rock of flint, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers knew not, that he might humble you, and that he might prove you to do you good at the latter end. Everything he did was to turn out good for them at the latter end if they would simply just obey God. But there are very few people who are willing or want to do that. And you say in your heart, my power 
and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. We hit these shores along the east coast and there were heavy forests and lots of rivers and trees and lakes and deer in the forest and so on. And it wasn't very long he says, I did this. We did this. Who's God? We don't need God. We have everything we need. What a, what a pit to fall in. We don't need God. We have everything we need. And now we've turned our back on that and we could only say China has everything we need. <laughs> that's, ooh, that feels funny coming out my mouth. But that's kind of where we are. Verse 17, and you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. We're an enterprising nation was the way we'd put it in more modern terms. It's been because of our energy and our diligence and our persistence that we have all that we have. We look at our big uh, manufacturing plants and some of those who started those things and self-made man is a common term he's a self-made man I wonder if self-made men attribute that to God not very often very very rarely but you shall remember the eternal your God for it is he that gives you power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. We didn't put the iron mines around the Great Lakes. We didn't put the silver mine here at Leeds. We didn't put Iron Mountain out there southwest of Cedar City. We didn't do any of that. We didn't build the Mississippi River after we got here. No. Those things were here provided by God and allowed us to get wealth from the land. And we used it and got wealthy as he had intended. But then we got presumptuous and selfish and forgot God and where these things had come from. And it shall be If you do at all forget the eternal your God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. Now that is the sentence that America is under today. He gave us all these things. We use them to get wealth, as he says here. And then we forgot God. And now he says, next, we're going to perish. And I believe that judgment has passed over us in 2017. Sentence has been passed. The penalties have been small so far, but they're going to get much greater. And I think that the alpha and the omega that is going to come and be finished by April will have a lot to do with that. And a lot of it may start even after this one in October. We don't know uh, what God has in mind, but things are getting very dicey all over the world. And our relationship with Russia 
I heard somebody the other day on on a podcast, very sincere, a nice man, doing what he can, Dave Hodges. I read him or listen to him fairly often because he does present things pretty much as they are. I don't know how he's lived this long, but he still is. But he said in a podcast just yesterday that he doesn't think it has to be over for us, that we as a nation could repent and turn to God, and this doesn't have to be the end times. Uh, He thinks we can put off the end times if we will just serve God. But that ship has sailed. (laughs) Uh, There might have been a time when he could have said that, and had we followed through, Uh, these penalties would have been removed. But God knew all the way back here where we would be today and that we would basically, if we worshiped him at all, it would just be lip service without our hearts in it and his commandments would be done away uh, as nearly all religion, so-called Christian, says today. But you can see, reading through here, that his commandments are so very, very important. And Christ didn't do away with them. He said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. I came to keep it. Uh, They misinterpret that and say, well, he fulfilled it so we don't have to follow it anymore. That was the end of it. He fulfilled it. No, he set an example that we should follow in his steps. And live by every word of God, which includes the commandments over and over and over again. It's ridiculous to think that he did away with his laws. You will perish as the nations which the eternal destroys before you or your face. So shall you perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of the eternal your God. Now, that was a prophecy that they fulfilled back then because they went into the promised land and it wasn't very long until they forgot about God. And God brought us here, another chapter. And it wasn't very long until we forgot God. Thank you for being here and not forgetting God and working and keeping his commandments. You know, he can say that about only a very few people. You put all the religions that are in this land together And how many will you find that say the commandments are still in effect and we have to keep them in order to have salvation? Few and far between. Few and far. Because most of them will say, eh, accept Jesus and you're under grace and you're saved. Anything you can do to keep from being saved because you're saved. So you can go out and break all the commandments and you're saved already. They haven't read much of the Bible is all I can say for them. (laughs) Not much of it. Why would God want you in his kingdom if you put other gods ahead of him, break his Sabbaths, lie, cheat, and steal? Why would he want you there? He'd have a society about like this one. Wouldn't be any different. No, you'll either keep his ways and follow them or you'll be zapped. That's all there is to it. 
because he's not going to live forever with a bunch of rebels who won't walk in his ways. Now, how would it feel to be a rebel when everybody was going this way and you're going that way? Our society changes real fast. Whatever they're doing in high school, somebody changes uh, to be different so that they're not like everybody else. Then everybody else changes to be like them so they'll be the same. And that happens time after time, every high school cycle that goes by, I guess. Uh, everybody decides they gotta be like so-and-so. So they just change in mass. Because obeying God means nothing. Being like your peers is everything. And what if your peers are liars, thieves, and cheats? Uh, I don't like to live with people like that. It, uh, it's frustrating. It's in the way. It's, you have to have locks on your doors. These days, picture a time when there will be no locks, no padlocks, no keys, no keys in a car if we have them. Nobody be stealing. Nobody be breaking and entering houses. It'll be a time of peace. And if somebody decided they wanted to do those things, there'll be somebody, according to Isaiah 30, who grabs them by the shoulder and says, no, this is the way to walk. This is the way we live here. Not that way. Get over it. So there are a lot of industries that will shut down like the whole locksmith industry. No need for it, no purpose in it. Verse nine, or chapter nine. Hear, O Israel, you are to pass over Jordan this day to go in to possess nations greater and mightier than yourself. Cities great and fenced up to heaven, tall walls around them. A people great and tall, the children of the Anakims, whom you know not, and of whom you have heard say, who can stand before the children of Anak? Understand, therefore, this day, that the eternal your God is, is he which goes over before you. As a consuming fire, he shall destroy them, and he shall bring them down before your face. So shall you drive them out and destroy them quickly as the eternal has said to you. We read a little earlier during the feast further back that they decided to go to war after all after he had told them not to and they got chased away like bees. Here he's telling them, I'll go before you I'll prepare the way and you can go in and just annihilate them with no fear or danger to yourselves. Wouldn't that be kind of neat if our military was in such a position and our politics with God that he would say, don't worry, I, I, I've got a nation over here that you need to destroy. And I'll be with you. I'll go ahead of you. Everything will be fine. You'll go in and you'll win hands down. No problems. Your young men won't be slaughtered. Uh, everything will go fine. What if America could have that kind of support from God? 
We don't. We may have in part for a while, but we don't. And we're on our own. And we're in trouble. Speak not you in your heart after that the eternal your God has cast them out from you before you, saying, For my righteousness the Lord has brought me in to possess this land, but for the wickedness of these nations the eternal does drive them out from before you. Not for your righteousness or for the uprightness of your heart do you go to possess the land, their land, but for the wickedness of these nations... The eternal your God does drive them out from before you and that he may perform the word which the Lord swore to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So so don't get self-righteous and think, well, we must be pretty good or God wouldn't do this for us. And he brings us down to earth and says, it's not because you're good, it's because I told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob I'd do it. If it was on your own merit, This wouldn't be happening. Their merit showed in the wilderness, uh, in rebellion and disobedience all the way through. So why would God be doing it for them? Because how righteous they were. Not a chance. Understand, therefore, that the eternal your God gives you not this good land to possess it for your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people want to do things their way. Frank Sinatra sold how many million of that song? I did it my way. And others have come along and sung it as well because my way is what they want to have. When Israel does it Israel's way, things don't go so well. Remember and forgot, forget not how you provoked the eternal your God in wrath in the wilderness from the day that you did depart out of the land of Mithraim till you came unto this place, you have been rebellious against the eternal. So he lays it in their face. This isn't your righteousness that we're going to cross the Jordan and I'm going to fight for you. It's the righteousness of the fathers. And if you want blessed, you better pay attention. Also in Horeb, you provoked the eternal to wrath, so that the Lord was angry with you to have destroyed you. When I was gone up into the mount to receive the tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant, the Ten Commandments, which the eternal made with you, then I abode in the mount forty days and forty nights. I didn't eat bread and drink water. And the eternal delivered to me the two tables of stone written with the finger of God, And on them was written according to all the words which the Eternal spoke with you in the mount out of the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And it came to pass, at the end of forty days and forty nights, the Eternal gave me the two tables of stone, the tables of the covenant. And the Lord said to me, Arise, get you down quickly from there, for your people which you have brought forth out of Mitzrayim have corrupted themselves and are quickly turned aside out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten image. So they'd very quickly, less than 40 days, convince themselves that God wasn't God, even though there was still smoke and fire 
on Sinai where Moses was, and they told Aaron, we need a god. Make us a golden calf. And they immediately went into fornication and adultery and all kinds of wild partying. Uh, Moses came down to an orgy <laughs> after being up there, not eating or drinking for 40 years in their behalf. Who knows what God does with the holy angels in our behalf and then we don't pay enough attention. Maybe we're not doing quite what they were, but that's a pretty good example for Moses to use here. Furthermore, the Eternal spoke to me, saying, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Let me alone, that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make of you a nation higher and greater than they. So I turned and came down from the mount, and the mountain burned with fire, and the two tables of the covenant were in my two hands, and I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the eternal your God, and had made you a molten calf. You had turned aside quickly out of the way which the eternal had commanded you that you agreed to. And I took the two tables and cast them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. They had already broken every one of them. And then he broke the actual stones to show how much good it had been to make them in the first place because they had already broken them before they ever even saw them. I broke them and I fell down before the eternal as at the first 40 days and 40 nights. I did neither eat bread nor drink water because of all your sins which you sinned in doing wickedly in the sight of the eternal to provoke him to anger. Eighty days he went without food or water. He was so upset and overwrought, and so was God. But he didn't want God to destroy them. He did care about them. Why? Verse 19, For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure wherewith the eternal was angry uh, against you to destroy you. But the eternal hearkened to me at that time also. Pretty rare somebody had fast 40 days and 40 nights because of the sins of others, but he did it. 80 actually altogether to receive the law. And then because they broke the law, he did it another 40 days. And the Lord was very angry with Aaron to have destroyed him. And I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. He was the high priest, and he was the one that made them a golden calf. And I took your sin, the calf which you had made, and burned it with fire, and stamped it, and ground it very small, even till it was as small as dust. And I cast the dust thereof into the brook that descended out of the mountain. And at Taberah, and at Massa, and at Kibroth, had a, a van, you provoked the eternal to wrath. Likewise also, when the Eternal sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and possess the land which I have given you, then you rebelled against the commandment of the Eternal, your God, and you believed him not, nor hearkened to his voice. You have been rebellious against the Eternal from the day that I knew you. 
from the time he came back from the desert and started telling them he would deliver them through God. He says, you've been stiff-necked and rebellious from the very get-go. Uh, that's natural to Israelites. It's, an, it's natural to you and me to be stubborn and want to do it our way, whatever way that may be. But it isn't God's way generally. This, Thus I fell down before the eternal forty days and forty nights as I fell down at the first, because the eternal had said he would destroy you. I prayed there for unto the eternal and said, O Lord God, destroy not your people and your inheritance which you have redeemed through your greatness, which you have brought forth out of Mitzrayim with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Look not to the stubbornness of this people, nor to their wickedness, nor to their sin. Now, Jeremiah had some comments about this nation, an end-time prophecy, and he said, pray not for this people, because it isn't going to do any good. We have gotten so stubborn, so rebellious, so disobedient, that it's written in stone, it's written in the heavens, that we will be destroyed, and written in the book. And no amount of praying is going to change it because God is going to recompense to us what we have done. He says in chapter 50 or 51 that we would save our country if we could, but we can't. We love this nation. We love what it's been for us. But it isn't that anymore, and God has decreed it's going to be destroyed. So it is. And we're at the edges of it happening right now. So it doesn't do any good to pray for this country. God said, I won't hear it. I won't listen. My judgment is finished. It's done. Now comes the punishment soon. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Look not unto the stubbornness of this people, nor to their wickedness, nor to their sin. Lest the land which you brought us out say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land which he promised them, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to slay them in the wilderness. If you don't straighten up all the nations around when I do destroy you will say your God wasn't strong enough he wasn't big enough he couldn't save you and therefore we have destroyed you and he would have used those nations to destroy them yet they are your people and your inheritance which you brought out by the mighty power <clears throat> and by the stretched out arm has he not done that with us not in the same way with the Red Sea, maybe, but here we were out, carnal, natural, normal, living alongside this society, basically imbibing of its way of life. And God miraculously reached down and opened your mind to the truth. And you didn't necessarily always like it when he did it. 
but you got used to the idea and he kept showing you things and you decided to this was the way to live so he's worked with us the same way he worked with them but he's not working with the rest of the nation that way and Dave Hodge is saying if we would just nationally repent now God would remove the penalties that was true at one time but he's late it's too late the penalties will not be removed and we're headed down. But you and I still have the opportunity to be blessed by God. He said he will take out and protect those who will serve him. And he says it won't be many. A small flock, 10% of what was the church, the rest of it he essentially has destroyed because of our lack of attentiveness and zeal and fervent worship of God. The whole church of God has been basically destroyed. He said he would in Revelation 3, and he has. And we've been suffering from it. So we need to be sure that we're repenting of it and worship him with zeal and energy and great purpose and focus. That's where we need to be. Look at these mountains of Zion that he made and realize that this is where he said he would protect us if we would obey. These other people are going away and he'll turn this whole thing over to those who are obedient to him and protect it with a wall of fire around it and a canopy over it from weather and probably bombs and everything else. They can't penetrate it. They can't hurt us. For one reason, we obey God. That's what this has all been about so far. And that's what it really is all about, to live by every word of God. Let's eat to that.